Again, it's really good to see all of you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles with me to the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. The ninth chapter of John's Gospel. Now, this chapter in its entirety stands as a unit. Um, It's uh, 41 verses long. I'm going to be preaching on this chapter for more than one week, but I want to read the first 27 verses to you uh, to you today. And this is the account, very well known, of Jesus healing uh, the blind man, where he says, once I was blind and now I see. Well, that's this miracle that we're going to be reading about today. But let me read with you John chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through uh, about 27. And just to also mention, keep in mind, we just finished um, the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 8. And uh, so what's, uh, what's coming ahead uh, is, uh, is going to be um, what we call the Feast of Lights, actually, Hanukkah in John uh, chapter 10. And these, are, um, these two feasts were bridged by just a few weeks, and this is leading up to just now about four months before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're coming toward the end of his, uh, he's coming toward the end of his earthly ministry, which will make sense of some of the language he uses in the beginning of this passage when he speaks about the coming darkness, when Israel will be swallowed up in its condemnation of, uh, in its condemnation of Christ and call for his death. As Jesus uh, passed by, he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, referring to Jesus. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say? about him since he has opened your eyes. And he said, well, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was going to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And so for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And answered them, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is a great chapter in John's Gospel. 41 verses long. You know, the first seven verses are used to describe this miracle that occurred, and all the rest of the verses really tell about the aftermath and include four interrogations. I mean, first you have the mild questioning of the man that comes from his neighbors and people who'd seen him sitting and begging for money in order to survive. Then come the Pharisees, three increasingly rough interrogations, interrogation of the man, the interrogation of the man's parents, and then back to the man again. And then finally, after all those interrogations, Jesus meets this man eye to eye. And that's when the miracle really finds its fulfillment. Not only that his eyes were open, but that he was able to see his Savior and worship him for who he was. 41 verses is a long text, folks. It's a very long text. But it is warranted just by this miracle alone. I mean, it really was a great miracle. In verse 32, our man will say, Never in the history of the world, since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And he was not exaggerating. He was speaking the truth. If you read from creation in Genesis 1 all the way through to the gospel record, there's not a single instance in which a man born blind was ever healed. It just didn't happen. But now it had happened. I don't know about you. I think many of you have had this experience. You ever walk into a store, see one of your teachers, you know, from school? And it's like, what is he or she doing here? Looks like my teacher. Nah, can't be my teacher. My teacher is at school. All of these sort of disorienting experiences in life. Well, now you multiply that by 100. And then you understand what was happening to the blind man's neighbors and the people who had seen him sitting and begging. They knew him as a blind, blind man. He, they knew him as a guy who was seated there, probably near the market or something. And he was begging to making, make a living. And now, suddenly, they see him undoubtedly standing, and he can see them. He's no longer sitting. He's walking around. He's not banging into things. He no longer has to do anything to get their attention, as he once did, but now they surely have his attention. 
They're talking about him. They're saying, you know, some people, um, he's the man who was born blind. And others were saying, well, he just looks like the man who was born blind. And it is funny. In fact, there's a lot of humor in John chapter 9. This man, he keeps interjecting, I'm the man. I am the man. I am the man. I am the man. And so uh, they ask him, how did you see? He says, all right. You really want to know? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. There's this man named Jesus. Okay, good. Keep going. He took some mud, yeah, and he spit on it. Ugh, yes, seriously, yes, yes. And then he made a mud pie out of it, okay? And then he took some of this mud pie and he put it on each of my eyes. Really, yes. And then he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash my eyes, and I did, and I could see. No way. I hope you appreciate how this came across. Any one of those neighbors, any one of those people who'd seen that blind man could have done and said exactly the same things to that man, and they knew that nothing would have happened. That explanation was no explanation. And so the question shifts yet again from, is it really you? How did your eyes open to where is he? Where is this Jesus? And to that, the man says, I don't know. I don't know. See, the answer to the question about this miracle didn't lie in anything that Jesus did. It consisted, it lay in who he was. It had everything to do with him. And so from this point, a point actually in verse 13, where the neighbors then take the man to the Pharisees. This is really what they're focused on. This guy. I ask you how this happened, but they're really focused on, on Jesus. Because as great as this miracle was, that the man born blind was given his sight, the miracle pointed beyond itself to something greater. It pointed beyond itself to Jesus. His name was written all over this. It was obvious. Spoke to who he was. That he, that he was from God, that he had come from God, that he had come to open blind eyes, that he was, he was a great light from God for the people who are sitting in, in deep darkness, just like the prophet Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. I mean, this had all the makings of, a, of, of the acted parable. A sign pointing to Christ in fulfillment of the prophet. And in the light that he was, then the prophet believed, Isaiah believed that, that the people would come to see light. And by this, what I mean is like the light of the sun. You know, the living, personal truth of God that does not exist apart from, from God. When this man came, that's what they would see. He would open people's eyes so they would see the living, personal truth of God of who God is. 
No, we live and we move and we have our being in him. Yet for moral, the moral and the spiritual blindness that, that encumber our own humanity, we sit in our own darkness. Every human being sits in his own or her own darkness where we, where we beg and we complain and we endlessly squabble. But God is not far removed from any of us. But our eyes must be opened. And Jesus came to do that. The prophet Isaiah had also said these words which the Lord in his prophecy is speaking to the servant, to his servant, the servant of the Lord who is to come. Isaiah 42, one of the early servant songs. I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. You know, amazing. I mean, this is called a servant song because these prophecies were not just written in poetry. I mean, they were written to be sung. <laughs> Imagine this, you know. I am, the, okay, I will not do that. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that were blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Because you know, if you are blind, you don't know where things are. You just sit there. Unless you're courageous champions. And we have some courageous champions in our midst. But in those days, it was that way. And it was because this miracle was a sign of that reality that Isaiah spoke about, fulfilled in Jesus. It was because of that that the Pharisees were determined to find some pretext for rejecting the miracle so they could deny its significance. That's exactly what's happening here. And we read of the terrified man's parents, how the Pharisees interrogated them, and, and the answer of the, and, uh, of the Pharisees' question, how does he now see? They say, don't ask us, ask him, he's of age, which incidentally meant at least 13 years of age. Can you imagine? Ask our little 13-year-old. But verse 22 makes this comment. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That was the issue. Now, miracles are often signs, often signs. But you see, they couldn't be a sign pointing to Jesus. It couldn't be that. Just couldn't. Something else must have happened. Yes, we will, we will insist on that. No one can know what happened. But of course, the problem was, right, that someone did know what happened. Verse 25, this is what the healed man says. Whether he's a sinner or not, Jesus, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I do know what happened. I was blind, and now I see. And so in the end, the Pharisees put him out of the synagogue. And if you think about the order in John, you'll realize that this miracle really was a precursor for the miracle that occurred in the coming weeks leading up to the Holy Week when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after his cadaver had laid festering in a tomb for four days. And that had never happened before either. Of course, the Pharisees' solution there was not to cut Lazarus off of the synagogue, not to throw him out, but to have him killed. So they conspired to kill him just as they conspired to kill 
Jesus. Now I want you to think with me about this for just a minute. All the strategies that we see throughout the secular West, the Jewish world, the Muslim world, and every other world to suppress the truth and unrighteousness are in play in this passage. They're all here. I mean, for 2,000 years, this has really been the world's way of treating the truth of God. Question it relentlessly. Relentlessly. Does it really mean? Does it really say? Did it really happen this way? Is this actually what is said? Does it question, 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 and then to discredit it by any means? A hangnail will do. Jesus needed spit into mud. That is the actual verb used in verse 6. Kneading, kneading was work on the Sabbath. The law prohibited kneading. This Jesus obviously was a sinner. He was a Sabbath breaker. Dismiss it as a hoax. He only looked like the blind man. Jesus only appeared to die on the cross. The grave robbers stole his corpse. The Gospels are a collection of myths invented by some super secret Christian clique that has never been identified. Demand that everyone accept your jaundiced presupposition as if it is above being questioned, as if it is the obvious truth, as we read in this text. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. You know, tell the truth. I adjure you by the name of God. We know this man is a sinner. That's it. It's the presupposition. It's the giving. It's the giving. Demand. Nothing. You must agree. Nothing created the world. Nothing created you. Believe in nothing and be good for nothing. Silence all contrary witnesses. Cut them off however is necessary. Throw the healed man out of the synagogue. Kill Lazarus if you can. Crucify Jesus. Persecute the church. Folks, questioning. Discrediting, dismissing, demanding, silencing, all five strategies have been in play for the last 2,000 years. And I ask you this morning, please give the Pharisees some credit. They wrote the playbook, and you see it right here in John chapter 9. And don't, please don't be taken in by these. Please. But we also see more here, don't we? We see a healed man who would not surrender the truth of what he knew. He just wouldn't. And what he knew was that Jesus had opened his blind eyes. And what he knew was that he owed it to the truth to be a faithful witness to Jesus and what he had done. Or you might say, just the opposite way, that he, owed, he knew he owed it to Jesus to be a faithful witness to the truth. But the other, really, these statements, one way or the other, are synonymous. And you really do get the sense, the more you read John 9, we'll especially see it next week, but you really get the sense here that the more the Pharisees tried to intimidate this man, 
the less he cared about what they thought of him. The more they tried to intimidate him, the less he wanted to be like them, to be classed with them, to be associated with them. Because he understood that in their determination to discredit Jesus, they were discrediting themselves. They were revealing themselves for the bullies they were and for the religious hypocrites they were. When they charged that man, give glory to God, that's a charge. I'm putting you under oath. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. What they really meant was something very different. What they really meant was agree with us or else. They did not mean tell the truth by all means. They meant avoid the truth by all means. You know these strategies in your own life. You are subjected to them also. But it was the same mercy. It was God's mercy, God's graciousness. It was that's by that same grace of God that it opened this man's eyes, that same grace also caused him to see that the Pharisees were demanding not only that he surrender his conscience and his mind, but that he turn over his soul to them as well. When you surrender the truth of what you know, you surrender the truth of what you are. You, you surrender the truth about yourself. After demanding three times of this man to know how did Jesus open your eyes, he said, and this took real boldness, and it only builds from here, as we'll see next week. He said, I have told you already, and you would not listen. You would not listen. This man had eyes to see Christ for who he is, and so he became a faithful witness and a true worshiper. And he experienced the courage of true faith in a hostile world. I want to say to you this morning, those of you who are Christians, you know, the Lord has opened your eyes to be that man or that woman also. I mean, the miracle that Jesus has done in your life for you, the miracle that he has done for me is so much greater than what the man formerly blind experienced at that point. The miracle that you've experienced and that I've experienced is a miracle of this sinless man, the Son of God, laying down his life and dying for you on the cross. Now the world may think that's just as crazy as spitting into some mud and making a mud pie. But in going to the cross, he was taking your sin on himself. He was dying for you. 
taking your guilt on himself. And then he rose so full of glorious life that now he shares that life with you through the Holy Spirit. And that is the greater miracle. It's a miracle that God would love you so much or me so much. It's the miracle that, you mean I'm not just really a a speck on a speck of a speck in a speck of the universe? No! Because God loves you that much. He loves you that much. One thing I know, that I was blind. You know, I, I was sitting in my darkness and Christ came to me in the good news that someone told me about him. And he opened my eyes. And I didn't simply believe the news. I believed in him. Can anyone here relate to this? Raise your hand. Dear folks. And I'm going to say to you this morning that if, if peace in your conscience, if real peace in a conscience... And joy, really from God, joy that is not of your circumstances and not of yourself. Your biology doesn't support it. Your social circumstances don't support it. But joy that really comes from God. Uh, if, if, if a lively awareness of God's love, if a deepening appreciation for his truth, if a growing anticipation of seeing the Lord, if those things sound like just so many words to you then, maybe you can only say that you believe certain things about Christ, but have yet to know, to know. Maybe your eyes have yet to be opened. And I want to say to those of you who would say, I do know this. This is what I know. Testify what you know. Testify to others of what you know. Let them know what you know or the world will will never know and you'll have the joy as Jesus' disciples did that very day of seeing the Lord open blind eyes through your testimony. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is why we're here. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this portion of your word and it's just so beautiful and especially in John's gospel, but everywhere in the Bible, there's just an unending number, really, of sermons or messages that, to be derived from truth because truth is absolute. Truth is eternal. It's always relevant. It always applies. It can be applied to every situation. But we've just chosen today to look at this, this portion um, of the truth in this chapter, and I pray that you would apply it to all of our hearts. And I, I don't just ask that you would, you know, comfort us when we face these strategies and this kind of a antagonism. Uh, you've told us it's going to happen. You've told us it will be relentless. I ask you to make us bold. You give us the Holy Spirit to make us bold, to make us courageous. And I pray that you would strengthen us to have that courage that comes from true and a genuine, a pure faith that simply is unadulterated. That we will not allow to have compromise in our lives. That we will not surrender the truth that we know. Let's we surrender the truth about ourselves. Lord, this word of the gospel is 
been sown into us who are believers, sown into us, inscribed on our hearts. It is us, and we are it, and we thank you for it. So as the church of Jesus Christ this morning, we do confess one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Amen.